Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Welcome to this live event with the Cisco Talos Threat Intelligence Team and Cisco Thousand Eyes. My name is Hazel Burton. We're here today to give you guidance on current cyber attacks, as well as insights into internet activity in Ukraine. All of our security teams are actively monitoring the digital landscape. And today, in addition to the blogs and the articles that we've been regularly publishing, we would like to share and talk about our essential findings and help contribute to the safety of our customers globally. Many of our teams have set aside their normal tasks. Many are now spending their time watching over Ukrainian networks. Other teams are focused on protecting refugees, physically and digitally. We also have teams, we have over 700 people who have volunteered their free time to contribute critical research into our open source intelligent work. So we've put on this session to help you learn about what we've seen and also offer advice about how you can protect your teams, your data and your network. Now a blog that you might wanna bookmark if you haven't already is the Talos Threat Advisory post. And that is your single source of information. It's been, content, it's been continuously updated with our new findings. So that link is cs.co forward slash Talos UA. We'll be taking your questions live during the event. So if there is a question that you would like to ask our panel, um, please ask it in the comments section of the channel that you are watching us on. So our panelists today, are JJ Cummings, a principal of threat intelligence and interdiction at Cisco Talos. Also from Talos, we have Amy Henderson, leader of strategic planning and communications. And we have Angelique Medina, head of internet intelligence at Cisco Thousand Eyes. So JJ, I'd like to ask the first question to you. Um, you've been leading our on the ground efforts in Ukraine. So what are our what are the current trends and the observations that we're seeing in the cyber threat landscape there? Yeah, certainly. Uh, thank you, first of all, for the introduction, Hazel. Uh, I think the best way for me to start is by framing uh, our history in that region of the world. We've spent roughly the last six years uh, focusing on Ukraine, developing relationships with key partners from an industry and from a government perspective uh, in the country of Ukraine. The whole goal and idea behind building these relationships and investing the amount of, of effort, time, uh, and resources that we have <clears throat> is because a, the, the adversary that we're really, that we're primarily talking about today uh, tends to focus very heavily on Ukraine. Um, and in developing these relationships, we've been able to gain a better understanding of this adversary or set of adversaries, as the case may be, uh, for the betterment of, of being able to help Ukraine itself directly, and then certainly also to be able to help our customers, and, and if I can be so bold as to say the internet uh, as a whole in terms of publishing information, uh, as you had mentioned, Hazel, and sharing information across various industry uh, and government partners. Um, if we if we want to narrow it down a little bit more locally in terms of the timeline, uh, the the actions that we've been observing in Ukraine have certainly steady, steadily been ramping up. We saw, uh, and, and all of this is certainly public knowledge, but we saw a ramp up in terms of wiper activity pre-kinetic 
uh, in terms of pre-actual physical incursion into Ukraine by Russia. Um, we have seen a number of really interesting developments as well, things that certainly some things we thought that we were going to see and other things that we didn't expect to see. Um, I think most recently, the, the more uh, kind of the more damaging or, or obvious things that we thought were going to happen, we've started to observe. And we published a blog, I think, about this as well. Uh, I shouldn't say I think we did publish a blog about this in just the last few days. Um, but really, what we're starting to see are abuses of kind of perceived trust uh, by fake accounts. So Ukraine spun up what they call IT Army of Ukraine. And it was kind of a cyber call to arms for anybody that wanted to support or wants to support Ukraine uh, and has capability, whether it's just a computer and they're willing to run some type of an application that will perform a denial of service against a targeted entity defined, defined by IT Army of Ukraine uh, or any number of other capabilities that they've solicited uh, out also to the more advanced uh, hacker community, if you will. Um, as a corollary of that, though, and, and what we thought would happen uh, are cyber criminals, script kiddies, and certainly plausibly more advanced actors, although we haven't seen a lot of that yet, uh, jumping into this and claiming to be different components of or a different version of IT Army of Ukraine. And when they're doing this, they're publishing in various social mediums, publicly accessible locations, uh, fake applications that purport to be the applications to aid Ukraine, uh, but are in fact more or less garden variety info stealers uh, or tools to establish a foothold into a network uh, that, that they may be targeting for a variety of reasons. Um, I say targeting. Most of what we have seen has been opportunistic. Just, hey, we're Cyber Army of Ukraine or IT Army of Ukraine. Download this tool. Uh, and then when you download it, you end up and, and or execute it, you end up sending all of your information, unfortunately, to this cyber criminal uh, to be used for whatever purposes they may use it for. Um, you know, one of our more significant concerns is, and, and we've observed this, um, people are using these on corporate networks, right? So cyber criminals, script kiddies, and even potentially more advanced adversaries uh, are, are gaining information and or that initial foothold into that corporate environment uh, that, you know, that they're looking for, and then they can perpetrate further, uh, further aggression against that. One of the, um, one of the more notable uh, tools that we've seen in terms of uh, fake tool is called Disbalancer. There's a real Disbalancer that IT Army of Ukraine has been suggesting to use. And that's one of the, the denial of service tools. Download this, run it, it'll denial of service targets of our choosing, basically, from crowdsourced infrastructure. Um, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing lots of, uh, of abuse of that. We've, we've got numerous samples across numerous platforms at this time. Uh, and, and I'll say we're starting to see more commodity things against uh, government agencies, even in Ukraine. Uh, within the last 12 hours alone, uh, Ukraine CERT has published a paper detailing a, a phishing attempt with a lure document that contained uh, a dropper that ultimately dropped Cobalt Strike, um, which just serves to add again a foothold into any number of the targeted uh, entities. I think that probably, <laughs> I think that probably covers most of it for now. I could, I could go on and on, I think, but uh, <laughs> we'll take a pause, Hazel. 
Yeah, thanks, JJ. And yeah, if anyone is interested in learning more about the IT Army of Ukraine and what's been happening there, um, all of that information is in the um, threat advisory blog that I mentioned earlier. So cs.co forward slash Talos UA. Um, Angelique, I'd love to talk to you now about um, what Cisco Thousand Eyes are doing. Um, but first, for anyone who might not be aware of Thousand Eyes, can you tell me a little bit about what you and your team do? We'll find out what's happening with your audio um, and we'll come back to you in a second. Um, Amy, I want to ask you a question about what are the on the ground steps that um, Cisco and Talos have been um, taking to protect our customers in Ukraine? Yeah, of course. Uh, piggybacking on what JJ just mentioned, uh, we have been on the ground in Ukraine for, for many years. So we do have a lot of relationships there. And Cisco as a whole has many customers there. Uh, we have taken uh, an extraordinary step, something that we don't usually do in uh, reaching out to our customers on the ground in Ukraine. And we're spinning up um, monitoring their infrastructure uh, through many of our products that are, that are part of their current infrastructure. Uh, through our Talos team so that we can put into place protections for from a, a Talos perspective for customers in Ukraine that may not make sense outside of that network. Um, one of the examples uh, that we talk about is um, if we see a C2 infrastructure, right, reaching out, calling out to an IP, normally you block those IPs, right? But for our customers in Ukraine, we can block that whole network. And that doesn't make sense for um, for us to put into place for all of our products, but for our customers in Ukraine, it makes sense, right? Um, so we are putting into place specific protections for them. We have around the clock monitoring of um, different uh, different platforms uh, that JJ's team is leading, um, and just working with our, our our employees and our customers that are still in region. Um, we have employees that are still there that are working with our customers. Uh, we're in contact with them on a daily basis. Um, you know, we're trying to do what we can from the, the small part of this war that is in the cyberspace to try and protect them as much as possible. Um, and I just have to give a shout out to our Cisco employees that are on the ground there still. And the fact that they're still working with our customers, still trying to protect them, um, as well as JJ's team who is who is monitoring around the clock for those those customers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and JJ, I want to ask you something. Um, in our article, um, Cisco stands on guard with our customers in Ukraine. Um, and people go and check that um, article out in the comments section. We'll be posting that link shortly. Um, one of the statements that we made there was that humans are the most critical part of your defense. And this is the kind of threat that we have in mind when we make that statement. Um, I'd love you to expand on that and touch on some of the humanitarian aspects of this crisis and what we've been doing for our people in Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> you know, there's, <laughs> Hazel, there are so many things that that mm -hmm. one can say. Um, I think... You know, if we if we look at the investment in people and, and what we're doing, um, there are a couple of facets that are important here. One of certainly which is this this has been a, a long haul effort for us already. Um, we've been running hot on uh, activities and increases in activities in, in Ukraine for over two months at this point. Uh, which means I've I've had people kind of working around the clock. We've had to establish uh, different 
different types of contact mediums and levers to pull and shifts. Um, so I think one of the important things that, that I'd like to highlight also is, you know, make sure that uh, if, if you're one of these people doing this work for any organization and you need to take a breather, you know, you need to do that um, because you're, if you're, if you're unduly worried or stressed about something, um, the, the best work you can put in is work that you're not panicking about, if that makes much sense, right? So I think that also kind of goes out to, to leadership, make sure that people themselves are being taken care of. Obviously, if we talk about our people that are uh, in country, on ground, they've got substantially more things to worry about as well from a kinetic perspective. And, um, and anything we can do to, to make life easier for them is, is crucial, right? I mean, we're, our part of this story, like Amy had mentioned a minute ago, is, is a pretty small part, right? It's, mm -hmm. It certainly plays an important role. But, um, you know, when we're talking about kinetic warfare and the actual incursion, that's, that's pretty substantial uh, compared to, to our piece of this. Um, and in order to try and do that, again, that's where we started to offload. And Amy touched on this just a minute ago, in fact, as well. Uh, we have personnel uh, across Cisco that have volunteered for different teams. One of those teams is OSINT. Another team specifically uh, is to monitor the assets that Amy was mentioning. We have consoles that are manned 24-7 uh, at this point uh, with very smart people uh, that have very clear direction uh, in terms of what to look for. And they're elevating concerns to uh, analysts on the back end on a regular basis who are looking at threats to try and identify and understand if it's an important thing. Do we really need to worry about this right now? Can it go in a, mm -hmm. in a bucket somewhere else? Um, and if it is something we need to worry about right now, what does that mean and why do we need to worry about it? Um, and, and all of these people, this is, this is taking a toll on everybody, which, which kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier mm -hmm. uh, in terms of making sure people kind of get their, get their downtime. Now, go ahead, Amy. Uh, I was just going to say, I feel like there's two, two sides to this, right? Number one is from the human aspect, the way you open this up, Hazel, is, is we have many defenders, right, that are um, monitoring networks. They're working with customers. They're, you know, funneling their uh, funneling information uh, back into their products, Um just tracking what's going on, right? Um, so you want to take care of those people uh, from, from, from that perspective. The flip side of that, right, um, outside of investing in, in your people, investing in your defenses, making sure that your people are, are doing okay. The flip side of that is everybody else who wants to help, right? And JJ kind of touched on this um, in the beginning with the, the IT Army of Ukraine. And it's, we have to remind our people as well that our humans are our last line of defense, right? And and we are fallible, right? We we fail a lot, um, and so you want to remind your employees. Everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to have a part of this, but you have to funnel that energy into the right things. Otherwise, you can put your organization at risk, right? By downloading these, you know purported tools to aid Ukraine, where in fact, you're sending your information to cyber threat actors, um, you could actually get a legitimate tool and knock something over on the internet that you didn't mean to, right, and cause further damage. So 
um, I believe in, in one of our emails as well, we, or our blogs as well, we talk about this sort of crowdsourced, crowdfunded activity that's happening. Um, and it's, it's sort of the masses. And so that the flip side of this coin as your, your humans are your last line of defense is to educate um, mm-hmm. your employees and your organization that uh, to funnel their you know, energy that they want to help into the right areas and to not sort of fall for some of these scams and phishing and lures that we're seeing as well. I, I think that's that's a great point, Amy. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you know, the the human line of defense is the last line. And a lot of what we're seeing, especially when we start to talk about these tools as purported, are simple delivery mechanisms via, again, lures online, somebody pretending to be something they're not, and even emails, right? This kind of falls back to basic uh, security etiquette of your users and reinforcing that just to your user base as a whole. If you get a funky email and it says, you know, I'm a cool looking thing.pdf.exe, tell them not to click on that, right? Because it's probably really not a cool looking thing, uh, very broadly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for both for, for raising those topics. Um, there's just so much going on at the moment and, and burnout is, is such a key issue. And as you say, JJ, from a leadership perspective, we need to be creating those safe spaces so that people feel comfortable sharing that um, they need to take some time off or they're not okay on the, and they need to be able to share. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, and I think we have Angelique back, which is wonderful. And thank you to our team in the background for um, solving those audio issues. So Angelique, could you um, tell me a little bit more about Cisco Thousands Eyes and what you and your team do? Absolutely, and great to be here with the Talos team. So Thousand Eyes is focused on monitoring internet and, and cloud networks as well as uh, SaaS providers, um, and, and that really helps our customers identify, identify issues in those environments. And our team specifically is focused on looking at internet outages and the overall health of the internet. So we've been you know, tracking, um, you know, recent events that are taking place, you know, globally as well as locally within the Ukraine. Um, and what we've seen is, um, to a large extent, what you might expect given reports of DDoS attacks um, on Ukrainian sites that are very high profile because they might belong to the government or to um, financial infrastructure in the case of major banks. So, really high levels of packet loss that take place around where these uh, target sites are hosted. And this happens when large amounts of traffic uh, that's inbound from different sources, it starts to converge towards a site. And then when that happens, that can overwhelm a lot of the the neighboring service providers, the service providers in the path, um, and cause what you can kind of think of as a, as a traffic jam where traffic starts to get dropped. So we see, we've seen a lot of that activity and that's significantly impacted the ability of, of users to successfully connect to many of these sites, particularly the government sites. Um, now, what, what's been happening also in, in sort of tandem with these patterns is um, network behavior that has looked um, at times very erratic, um, but that tells us that there are defensive measures that um, are being taken in the background um, by these site owners. Um, In some cases, this has manifested as um, traffic blocking that's taking place um, within um, the the, uh, website's uh, connected ISP. So that might be where um, certain 
traffic from certain sources, like, for example, traffic coming in from outside the Ukraine has been blocked by ISPs. Um, and then at other times, we've seen um, a much more kind of uh, a kind of total or more extreme kind of blocking where um, all traffic is getting black holed before it reaches a site's um, servers. And, you know, that's that's been um Interesting in terms of seeing the frequency of that happening, where 100% of traffic, you know, is is uh, is dropped, and that means that you know the site is effectively unavailable for all users, even even legitimate users. Um, so I think that that sort of speaks to the tension that a lot of these um, site owners have been having in terms of you know needing to protect their sites um, and also wanting to stay available to um, you know, those legitimate users. So, you know, it appears that in some cases, these site owners have taken themselves offline proactively. Um, and in some cases that, you know, we still see that, you know, where they're continuing to be offline. Or in some cases, we saw this taking place over a shorter period, which was then followed by, um, you know, a particular service. In, in one example, we have a Ukrainian bank that then migrated over to a cloud security provider, and then you know their service was um, was broadly available, and you know they weren't seeing any unusual activity or any performance problem. Brilliant, thank you, Angelique. And um, uh, so a Thousand Eyes has a blog um, uh, which speaks to more of that um, internet activity that they have been monitoring. So, if you would like uh, even more information um, about those findings, there is some uh, key findings, and then the the blog goes into a lot more detail as well. So, um, we'll be posting a link to that blog into the comments section of the channel that you're watching very very shortly. Um, now, before I move on to my next question, we've actually had a, a question come in um, via our audience that I think is quite pertinent to the discussion that we're having at the moment. So I'm going to pivot over to one of those. Um, so Alex is watching us on uh, LinkedIn and they ask, does Cisco Talos communicate cyber threats that might be a precursor to kinetic attacks to Ukrainian or other authorities? Um, JJ, do you maybe want to come in on that first? Yeah, certainly. So um, we we don't necessarily make direct assessments that a kinetic attack is uh, has had a precursor of uh, of a cyber attack. Certainly, given the tensions in the region at the time, uh, that was a concern of ours. Um, and in working with those authorities, you know, we relayed that we had those types of concerns. Um, but our expertise is primarily, of course, on the cyber front. Um, and so we, we relay the information that we have to the pertinent parties who, uh, who have a greater level of experience in terms of kinetic warfare and how that might tie back to any type of cyber precursor. To, to jump in here, too, just to, to dig into like how this all works, right? Um, from a, a threat intelligence sharing perspective, we have partners across the globe, right, that we work with that include government, law enforcement agencies, um, also other in industry partners, right? Um, because ultimately, we're trying to make the internet a safer place, right? Um, and when Talos as a whole has information, um, and we have protections in place, we do share that information widely, because um, we want to make sure that 
any affected parties uh, are are informed of this, right? Maybe it could be before, um, uh, it could be post exploit, but it could be before uh, any sort of malicious activity has been has been found and discovered. Um, it could be, you know, more contextual information after after a, um, a, an incident is already public. So the ability for us to share intelligence is highly ingrained in our organization. Um, we have partners specific in region that, you know, we, we make sure to put that information on. And then something I said earlier, too, I do want to clarify, um, we may not be putting protections in place that make sense outside of Ukraine right now, but all of that intelligence feeds um, the detections that we put into all of our products, right? So, you know, if we see something there that uh, we do need to block that is getting blocked right across our portfolios. Um, and then that information gets shared out as well um, to to the partners that we have. Perfect. Thanks, Amy. Um, we've also had a question come in from Jeffrey, who's watching us on, on LinkedIn as well. But uh, Jeffrey, I'm not sure if you're a mind reader, but this is actually going to be my next question um, when it comes to talking about partnerships with um, uh, governmental organizations. Um, so JJ, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those partnerships uh, that Cisco has with key contacts both in and outside of Ukraine um, that are all coming together to help with this crisis and the impact of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hazel, I think um, you know most of the most of the relationships we have, of course, are going to be highly confidential. It's it's the type of thing that uh, we talk to each other, but we don't talk publicly about the fact that we talk to each other or what we talk to each other about. Um, I I will say though that, uh, and we've we've recently published information even about this. Uh, we are actively working with the State Special Communication Service of Ukraine. Uh, the SSSCIP, uh, as well as the Cyber Police, uh, which is a component of the National Police of Ukraine, and then the National Coordination Center for Cybersecurity, um, the NCCC <laughs> within Ukraine. Uh, in terms of partnerships that we have elsewhere, um, I'm happy to, to certainly say that we do a lot of work closely with NATO. Uh, we do a lot of work with uh, the CISA JCDC organization, um, and then a, a, just a, a vast amount of other government, private, uh, and even intelligence-type community partners that, that we have globally. Um, it's, it's an effort that we have taken um, a considerable amount of time to develop these relationships uh, and the, the goal of these relationships is to be able to pass information immediately to the relevant parties when we find something uh, that is substantial and actionable enough to pass on, uh, or even to simply initiate a joint investigation if there's something that um, that kind of tingles the spidey sense, if you will, mm -hmm. of, of any of my analysts in just the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, JJ. Um, Angelique, um, could I ask you a bit more about the role that um, cloud services providers have played in keeping the security of Ukrainian organizations as resilient as possible? And what should organizations bear in mind um, over the next few months as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I think what we've seen is that when it comes to DDoS mitigation, the organizations, um, whether they're government or uh, private sector who deployed uh, 
cloud service providers um, like CDN providers with extra security measures, for example, have been really effective at remaining online and minimizing the disruption to their service. Um, we have seen kind of more local defense measures put in place using, you know, technologies like firewalls and intrusion detection systems. But it, it seems like the, the um, organizations that are using um, these very widely deployed distributed um, services have been more effective. Um, the other thing that we've seen is that in many cases, these um, there's there's been extra security sort of layers put in place um, on top of of what we would typically see um, being used by an organization when they're using, uh, for example, like a, a web application firewall or a CDN um, with DDoS protection. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, sites uh, that have been targeted um, doing things like, uh, you know, asking users to um, uh, kind of validate that they're not bots, for example. Um, so, you know, that's been interesting to see because that's not typically even under DDoS, um, something that we, we ordinarily um, uh, will see. So, you know, I think that what what we've sort of, you know, this this sort of recent period has kind of just emphasized is that, you know, from a scalability standpoint, you know, for high velocity attacks um, that are sustained, um, the more resilient um, uh, organizations have been leveraging kind of these more scalable services that are cloud-based. Great. Thank you, Angelique. Um, JJ, I we've seen some, I think unexpected is the wrong word, um, unusual maybe developments in the cyber threat landscape um, since the invasion began. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of those um, uh, unusual developments that we've seen. Yeah, certainly. I think, um, <laughs> Hazel, I think one of the most interesting ones uh, in a way uh, is the the first of all, this wasn't necessarily unexpected. The first thing that happened, uh, the ransomware group Conti uh, basically declared allegiance to Russia and they were going to, you know, fight and start ransomwareing every organization that they could get into across the globe that wasn't Russia or that was uh, at least in any way supporting Ukraine. Um, subsequent to the initial post, which was basically you know, declaring loyalty to Russia, there was another follow on post that they made saying, well, we're not taking sides, but we're going to still help Russia. Right. Um, and it's it's long been uh, a very common belief that this group is uh, is based out of Russia. Um, so the initial post wasn't very surprising. The second post, though, was kind of interesting and, and obviously indicated that there were more than just Russian members that had significant levels of access to the uh, to the Conti infrastructure. Subsequent to both of those posts, uh, we saw a substantial fracture in the group. And, and at that point, we started seeing dumps of Conti information, right? Chat logs, infrastructure information, um, just, just piles and piles of information that Conti had amassed in their infrastructure and on the back end. Um, these leaks kept coming out, right? So the, the fact that this large scale, uh, you know, this large scale kinetic effort had begun and it caused this substantial fracture in a in a fairly large uh, ransomware group is, you know, that's very interesting. And, and to kind of tail into, I guess, my next piece here um, that I'm thinking about with regard to, to things that we didn't necessarily expect, 
the, the crowdsourcing, right, of, um, of just the hacking community on all sides of the equation. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, Anonymous involved and they're jumping on, onto the side against Russia and there are groups on the pro-Russian side and it's, it's all over the place. And Amy, Amy touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but the, the noise that this is creating also is it's, it's crazy, right? So um, normally we've got a pretty deep pile of stuff that we have to sift through to find the really interesting bits that pile of stuff has gone up exponentially as a result of all of this crowdsourced, um, crowdsourced hacking, right, <laughs> if you will, um, or call to arms. So it's been really interesting uh, to see, again, kind of the the, the fracture of some of these, uh, you know, cyber dirtbag type groups uh, across the across the board. Um, I expect we'll see more, and I don't know that we'll see more. I shouldn't say that, actually. I expect that more of that has already occurred behind the scenes, and we're going to see uh, the ramifications of that in the future in terms of certain ransomware groups just uh, not being as active as they were or coming back uh, under different names or this group fractured into two groups, the pro-Russian group, or going to come back as their own ransomware group later. Uh, and then everybody else coming back as their ransomware, right? Um, but I think it also speaks to the way that the whole world is is reacting to this as well in terms of how, you know, how uh, how sectioned off it is. You're, you know, it's black and white at this point. It's, it's that simple for the most part. I think what's what I would talk to organizations about and customers that are are um, looking at what's going on right now. Like JJ has a has a great view of exactly what is going on right now, and it's you know normally you're worried about um, cyber criminals, right? The financially motivated actors. You're worried a bit, like depending on how you are about nation state actors, right? Espionage, protecting your intellectual property. Now you're you're worried about. Um, uh, the, the bleeding of what may be happening in Ukraine, right? Collateral damage that could happen from nation state activity that's going on in Ukraine. Uh, but then you're also worried about every John, Joe and Harry who is online right now, right? Uh, pointing a DDoS uh, tool somewhere. Um, and, and how do you protect against that, right? You're, you're literally protecting against a, a, a mass um, of this this crowdsourced um, hacking, right? And and like JJ mentioned, we kind of touched on it before, right? We don't know what they could knock over. Like I don't even know that they know what they could knock over. So um, it is it is the wild wild west right now. Yeah, and, and I think if if I could just add one more thing um, that comes to mind when Amy mentions that, and I think Matt only mentioned this in. Uh, another interview or a blog post, um, but it, it just takes somebody getting lucky also with the right tool. Um, there are so many tools out there that, you know, you can take five minutes to read about how this tool works, pointed at something that maybe it hasn't been pointed at already um, in just the right way, and you knock over something significant. The, the ramification of that is misattribution. So what I mean by this is, Joe user at home gets this tool, points it at some substantial government organization anywhere in the world, knocks over something, website, defaces something, um, gains access to something, and that is misattributed to one side or the other, which 
then in turn causes some type of an escalation or response toward the misattributed entity, right? Um, so it's, I mean, and I think this is also exactly what Matt Holney said. He said it's bonkers because it is right now, right? The, the way that things um, are unfolding and the potential for just havoc to occur. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something that we discuss in uh, a number of blog posts. This um, maybe lack of awareness of potential consequence of action. You know, one thing sort of leads to another. That butterfly effect. And Amy, you mentioned the collateral damage, so I think it might be a good time to ask this question from Laurie, who's watching us. Um, how do you see these cyber attacks extending outside of Ukraine into other countries and maybe beyond? How do, how do we see these cyber attacks playing out? I mean, I would go back to, to history, right? We have to learn from history. Um, and in, I believe it was 2017, when the NotPetya activity happened, um, that was targeted at Ukraine, right? But look at the multinational corporations that it took down, right? Uh, it took down Maersk Shipping, took down um, other other organizations, right? And so that's kind of the, the collateral damage, right? Um, one of the things that we talk about uh, in our threat briefings is that every organization has accepted risk somewhere in their system, right? A time that you made a decision that you accepted a certain amount of risk because you weren't going to invest in a certain area. Um, so now is the time to, especially if you're, you're around that area, you have systems um, in, in, that, in those regions, you have infrastructure hosted there, uh, you have employees there, right? You have endpoints there. You have to look at all those decisions that you made, revisit those decisions of the risks that you're willing to take, um, and then how you're going to invest to to check those decisions. So um, I think it's a very real risk that we will see this um, extend beyond just uh, what's happening in Ukraine, right? Um, uh, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, but we're all preparing for that to happen. The longer this goes on and, and the the higher, um, the, the more we see, right? And JJ, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. No, I mean, I think, I think you're spot on, Amy, right? Um, large attacks certainly are going to have ramifications outside of Ukraine, potentially against, um, you, you know, if I think about... Uh, well, just simply looking at the uh, the crowdsourced stuff, right? That's that's going to affect everybody. I mean, at this point, even the cyber criminal component who is indiscriminately targeting the world to gain a foothold to steal information, I mean that that in and of itself has substantial implication globally. Um, so you know, even at that low level, we've seen such an increase in that activity. Um, Disin including disinformation, use of that to try and implant um, mm -hmm. cyber criminal level tools. Great. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, JJ. Um, I've got a couple of questions left, but um, if you would like to ask a question, um, please pop that into the comments of the channel that you're watching us, um, and we'll do our very best to try and get to it. Um, Angelique, so there was initially some speculation around Bordergate protocol BGP attacks and also some large-scale DNS attacks in um, against Ukrainian organizations. Um, can you tell us um, what your findings have been there? Yeah, so um, BGP attacks are something that you know can have 
pretty significant collateral damage um, or, or lead to significant collateral damage across the internet. Um, and we haven't really seen any evidence that there's been any kind of large scale DNS or BGP attacks. And that's not to say that there haven't been um, you know, attempts at, for example, BGP hijacks at a, at a localized level, um, but we haven't really seen anything in terms of meaningful disruption. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is, you know, you have to understand that internet security is uh, a team sport, you know, so a BGP hijack can get stopped in its tracks if service providers have good uh, security hygiene. And there have been, you know, a number of initiatives over the last couple of years, especially around BGP, to um, increase the adoption of, of security measures. And I think that, you know, um, those initiatives, you know, uh, and in terms of kind of increasing um, uh, protections across broad swath of service providers, I think, you know, we're seeing some of the um, success of that in some ways. Um, but also, I think that, you know, there's in some part of this may also be that, you know, when you're when you're, you know, kind of thinking of some of these very large service providers um, that operate globally, I don't think anybody wants to be um, responsible for, you know, helping uh, push out an attack or propagate sort of illegitimate routes and sort of um, help aid in a BGP hijack at this time. And there's probably some extra, um, you know, measures that are being taken to be sort of hypervigilant about this. So, you know, hopefully that will continue, you know, in terms of what we're not seeing, you know, not seeing sort of uh, widespread um, using that as sort of an attack vector, um, so so that's been good, and hopefully that will continue. Great, thank you, Angelique. Um, a question for all three of you now: um, What are your most pertinent pieces of, of advice for the people and the organizations listening to this? Um, Amy, maybe I could start with you. I feel like I've said all mine. I don't have any goodies for the end. Um, <laughs> But I'll just reiterate, right, uh, uh, everyone wants to help right now. We have to figure out how to funnel that to the right organizations, right, or to the right teams. Um, so get, get their energy focused on a way where they're not going to go out and, and either put your organization at risk um, or knock something over on the Internet. Um, and then second, again, look at where you're just look at where you've made your investment decisions uh, in the past, right? The the situation has dras drastically changed. Um, uh, so revisit those decisions, see where you uh, need, maybe need to change investments, funnel funnel more investments or make different investments um, depending on your risk profile, right? Great, thank you. Um, JJ, can I come to you next? Certainly, Hazel, thanks. I, I think Amy makes some great points. I'm gonna keep mine um, a little more simple. Uh, I think that, um, you know, the first thing I would say is, is remain vigilant. Um, you know, we talked about a little bit about burnout. Um, so whatever, whatever you can do to ease the burden on your personnel and increase awareness across your organization, those are kind of the two things that I think about. Um, you know, I, I think almost every cybersecurity professional around the globe at this point uh, is is being very vigilant and and paying attention to what's happening, um, but you know when they burn out and they start missing things, that's where you start to introduce some more substantial risk. 
Um, <clears throat> the, the other thing I think I'll touch on just briefly is um, we have seen and received a lot of questions about uh, the level of attacks being observed and why aren't we hearing more about significantly complex state, nation state level attacks occurring. Um, and, and I think Matt only covered this well uh, when he already said that, that our assessment right now is that these tier one level operators uh, are engaged elsewhere, right? They are engaged in support of the kinetic component to try and conduct espionage possibly uh, to against key targets to try and, and gain a greater understanding of kinetic response, uh, not only in Ukraine, but globally, right? What is, what is NATO going to do? What is this country or that country going to do? Um, and also making sure that any footholds they may have um, are active and they're able to execute other actions should they determine the need to do so based on either global response or their assessment of what a global response would be from the, the espionage that they're conducting. Great. Actually, stay there, JJ, for a second, because you just had a, a question come in from Brian. Uh, what would be the top three attack vectors that we should be focused on? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I will say um, that that depends on what exactly you're guarding against, right? Nation state is going to be very different than script kitty than cyber criminal. Um, we are seeing certainly an increase in uh, attacks against the top CVEs that organizations such as CISA and NSA have published. Um, there are known CVEs, and I don't have them in front of me right now, but there are known CVEs that you can identify uh, that ransomware groups love to use. I would say Conti, but you know um, they're kind of kind of in shambles right now. They've shut their infrastructure down. That does not, however, mean that their individual operators are not going to continue to operate and try to gain those footholds uh, or that another group hasn't started to operate in the background, right? I would certainly fully expect that to be taking place right now. Um, so <laughs> that's a really, really weird way to answer the question. I haven't named three things at all, but look <laughs> at those top CVEs. Make sure that you're covered against those top CVEs that are listed. Educate your people because we're seeing a lot of email, right? A lot of spam with lure documents, with weaponized documents. We're seeing that float around a lot in a significant number of breaches. Um, and I'm just picking a name here. An email went to Pam in accounting and Pam just forgot what she was doing because she was interested in learning about this next crazy thing that's happening in Ukraine. And she clicked on it. And then all of a sudden a foothold was established inside of Pam's environment, right? Um, so again, kind of back to the basics, right? Your basic hygiene of don't do the things you know not to do. Make sure you're auditing things like uh, multi-factor device enrollment is a big one also, right? Um, if we want to start to talk about abuses that I might start to see uh, in the future. If, if a bad guy, if you're running multi-factor and you start to see weird devices registering, you need to pay attention to those logs, um, yeah. I don't know if that was three things, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> I counted three. I counted three. Yeah, absolutely. Prioritizing those CVEs, definitely. Um, Angelique, um, I would love um, for you to offer your um, your piece of advice that you would like to leave people with who are listening to this. 
Yeah, I guess I would leave folks with, you know, just kind of reiterating that the internet is a very fluid environment. Um, and I'm just going to borrow JJ's description earlier of the wild, wild west, right? And that's even in the best of times, you know, there's still significant vulnerabilities um, across the internet in terms of how traffic is um, routed from one point to another. So it's really important to understand kind of what's going on under the hood and don't assume that um, you know, for example, you know, where your traffic has, has, you know, what region it's been routed through, for example, you know, you really need, do need to have an understanding of some of those um, kind of foundational pieces of of, you know, your, your, you know, your digital business, if you will. So um, that's, that's what I think is, uh, is kind of most uh, kind of important from what we're seeing right now. Perfect. Thank you. Um, we're about to wrap up, but we've um, had a question. Um, Amy, this kind of covers something that you were talking about earlier, but maybe we could clarify. Um, what is Talos's general opinion on um, if the crowdsource effort to support Ukraine against identified targets will further escalate the conflict, specifically if more advanced threat actors become involved and cause serious damage to targets? So... Um, I think that the main question in there is, is, will it escalate? Mm -hmm. Is that so? Um, yeah, if, if it further escalates, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I mean, JJ kind of went through this timeline just yesterday. We saw um, uh, fake, you know, it, fake uh, DDoS tools that are being downloaded for folks um, that are supposed to mimic tools to uh, to create DDoS attacks to point at Russia when, in fact, they're stealing people's information. Um, so we're already seeing escalations in that manner. Um, I think we will continue to see escalations. Um, that's, I think, why a lot of us are giving that advice of funnel, funnel the energy to the right things. Um, to JJ's point, um, make sure that you're just doing the basics, not clicking on links, not downloading tools, not, uh, you know, not trying to go outside of your bounds, I guess. Um, so our assessment is that the longer this goes on, we're going to continue to see it in increase. We're going to continue to see it escalate. Um, people want to do the right thing. They want to feel like they're involved. They want to help how they can. But sometimes that help can can be misguided right if if we don't funnel it into the right channels so yeah absolutely um to your question fatima that just come in um where are the top cves um have a look at our kenna blog um loads of information on there and they keep a running track of all of the cves and give a, a severity score to each of them so that's um a potential avenue for you to have a look at um i think we might have time for one more question um, so that comes from Shane. Um, JJ, this might be one for you. As security is shifted to focus specifically on Ukrainian infrastructure, are we starting to see more anomalies in other regions that is raising more high concern for an immediate state-sponsored coordinated attack? Misdirection is always a concern. Uh, I, I think that's some, <clears throat> some great insight and you're, you're spot on in your assessment that misdirection uh, is uh, is a great concern, and uh, if I can be frank, it's a common tactic used by this adversary that we're talking about. Um, 
I will say that there is a considerable amount of information sharing happening behind the scenes to try and identify if any type of large-scale coordinated attacks are occurring um, and to get information out to any entity, uh, private, government, or otherwise, that might be being targeted uh, in, such, uh, in such an attack. Um, I know that, you know, behind the scenes, there is an incredible uh, amount of effort, even at the private security research level, in terms of information sharing happening that it's, it's happened in the past, but it's happening in unprecedented and un, unseen scales uh, before uh, at this time. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's also happening at the government level. So um, the answer is I, I can't say that we've seen that direct uh, that direct thing occurring at this time, but all of the all of the watchers, ideally anyway, all of the watchers are in place. Everybody that needs to talk to each other is talking to each other, um, so that if that does occur, it can be identified early on. But that's a, yeah. I think that's a key point, and it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to keep talking because there's some interesting bits about. Uh, that we've done uh, with regard to some of the wiper attacks that that point to really interesting kind of disinformation uh, that, uh, mm -hmm. that almost doesn't make sense, but it does when we think about the threat actor at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for that, JJ. Um, well, that is all the time that we have for today. So my huge thank you to our panelists, to Amy, to Angelique and to JJ. Um, so to keep staying up to date with what is going on with cyber attacks in Ukraine, um, please do follow our Talos Threat Advisory blog. So that is cs.co forward slash Talos UA. You will always have the latest verified information there from our threat intelligence analysts. So that's all from us for today. Thank you so much for watching and take care.